Turn, if you would, to the 10th chapter of the book of Proverbs. If you remember, last week we started the 10th chapter, and as I said, the 10th chapter to about the 29th chapter are what most people think about when they think of the book of Proverbs. You know, the individual nuggets of wisdom that Solomon shares with us about how you should live your life. And I commented last week that a really silly thing to do is to take this verse by verse, so that's what we're doing, uh, at least for a couple more weeks, just for the fun of it. At some point, I've got to do something else, otherwise we'll be studying Proverbs uh, three years from now. But as I told my mother yesterday, I just hate to skip verses. I, I don't know. So last week, we started chapter 10. I think we made it about eight verses into it. So I'm going to read, starting in verse 1, just as a review of what we talked about last week. The Proverbs of Solomon. A wise son brings joy to his father, but a foolish son grief to his mother. The entire book of Proverbs are instructions to a young man of how they should live their life. It applies equally well to young ladies, old ladies, young Fill in the blank with your favorite group of people. It applies to all of us. Ill-gotten treasures are of no value, but righteousness delivers from death. The Lord does not let the righteous go hungry, but he thwarts the cravings of the wicked. Lazy hands make a man poor, but diligent hands bring wealth. He who gathers crops in summer is a wise son, but he who sleeps during harvest is a disgraceful son. Blessings crown the head of the righteous, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. The memory of the righteous will be a blessing, but the name of the wicked will rot. And that's where we ended up last week. So we will pick up today in verse 8. The wise in heart accepts commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. A chattering fool. I think some of the translations say babbling fool. No, I don't want to show of hands. How many of you know a babbling fool? (laughs) Once again, this whole book is a contrast between those who follow the path of wisdom and those who follow the path of foolishness. And here we see yet another contrast. The wise individual, the wise in heart, accept commands. What does that mean? It means that they are open to listening to what needs to be done. Somebody says, you shouldn't have done it that way, and they go, you're right. I should have done it. Or this needs to be done, and they go, ah, you're right. That needs to be done. They are open to accepting instructions from other people. Now, we had a whole lesson about rebuking people, Rebuke is basically you've done something wrong and somebody whacks you up the side of the head and says you've done something wrong. This could include that, but this is actually broader. This implies that you really haven't necessarily done anything wrong. You just need to be instructed. You need to have somebody to say, go that way or go that way. And you go, ah, you're right. That makes sense. The opposite of that is the person who thinks they already know the answer to whatever question you're about to ask. And oftentimes, they will want to let you know that they know the answer to the question that you're about to ask. 
The picture is, and we see it in this verse, and we're going to see it in just a few verses again, is the babbling fool, the person who just keeps talking and doesn't stop long enough to learn, to listen to what needs to be done. Throughout this chapter, it is kind of interesting, throughout this chapter, we're going to see a number of different verses regarding what comes out of your mouth. What good, what bad, what comes out of your mouth is an indicator of this condition of your heart. It is an indicator of which path you are following in life. So, the contrast is between those who will listen to instruction and those who just keep talking and won't stop long enough to pay attention. Well, the obvious question is, why don't we listen to instruction? Why don't we pay attention to those around us? Long pause. Pride. We don't have that, do we? My pride tells me, who are you to tell me what to do? We have this belief that if you're dealing with a child, let's say 12 years old or younger, it's okay to tell them what to do. Now, when they hit their teenage years, uh, who knows? But when I become an adult... When I'm 21, um, all of a sudden, nobody can tell me what to do. Do we think, do we really think that we have reached the pinnacle of wisdom at the wonderful age of 18 or 19 or 21 or 31 or 51 or 91 that we have reached a point in life where we no longer need to hear the truth spoken to us. The idea of a command is the idea of something that we need to do. This is an instruction that involves an action on our part. You should do this. Why else do we not listen to commands? We don't respect the person who gives it to us. Now, we believe, we're lying to ourselves, but we really do believe if Jesus Christ himself walked through that door and walked up to me and said, Kyle, you need to do this, that I would do it. I really do believe that, right? But you know, Jesus Christ himself is not going to walk through that door. My boss might walk through the door, My spouse may walk through the door. My next door neighbor may walk through the door. Some guy that lives down the street who's a jerk may walk through the door. And God could use all of those people to instruct me on how I ought to live my life. I mean, as we've said in here repeatedly, if God wants to, he can use a donkey to tell you how to live your life. If he wants to, he can certainly use the jerk down the street. But we don't want to listen to them. We're better than them. We think we're better than them. Maybe we're back to pride. Hmm. Maybe it all gets back there. 
We don't like the message. We don't like the messenger. So we reject the message. And in order to reject the message, I've got to tell you why you're wrong. And guess what? I become a babbling fool. Blah, 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 blah. I know a few babbling fools. They don't know enough to keep their mouth shut so we can at least pretend that they know what they're thinking. They just want to share their ignorance with all of us. That is a babbling fool. The wise in heart accepts commands, but a chattering fool comes to ruin. Ultimately, those who refuse to heed the instructions of life will lead to destruction. None of us are smart enough to do it on our own. Now, we can be wise and learn things from Scripture so God doesn't have to beat us over the head quite as often. That's a good thing. Or we can walk foolishly down the road and let the two-by-four whack us up against the head, and then we can learn. We can, we can pick when we're going to learn. But eventually, we've got to learn, or we will, in fact, lead to destruction. I'll take any questions, by the way. <laughs> the man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. Once again... The contrast regards the path that we are walking in life. What does integrity mean? Sound. Solid. Somebody else. Honest. Above reproach. Basically, it means that my private life matches the public image that I want to portray. There isn't some disconnect between what I am presenting to you and what I truly am. You know, somebody that acts one way in private and a totally different way in public or acts one way on Friday and a totally different way on Sunday we will say that individual lacks integrity. We know people, I know people, who act differently depending on the particular group they are in at a particular time. I had a co-worker one time, a younger man, and I could tell what TV show he had watched the night before by how he came dressed for work the next day. I referred to him as a chameleon. He was actually a wonderfully nice guy. I mean, we invited him over for dinner. He met my parents. He was as respectful as you could possibly be. But he was a chameleon. He just blended in to whatever group he happened to be in at that particular point in time. That is not an individual of integrity. Why? Because there's always this problem that somebody may show up from another group and you're playing the wrong part at the wrong time and you will be found out. The man of integrity walks securely. He or she never has to worry that somebody's going to show up 
and break their image that they've constructed for one particular aspect of life or another. You know, if I sat here worried that one of my coworkers would walk into this class and I would be embarrassed because the life I was living at work didn't match the life that I was living in this class, I would live in constant fear that I would be found out. It's like when you're driving, you know, you're driving the speed limit and you see a cop up the road. What do you do? You put your foot on the brake. Why? Because you're paranoid. You're scared. Why? Because you're usually driving too fast. And you're worried that you will be found out. The individual who walks with integrity doesn't have to worry that the wrong person will show up at the wrong time and show them for what they really are. That's why integrity is so important. I guess we can ask the same question we asked a while ago. A while ago we asked, why don't we listen to commands? I guess the question now is, why don't we walk in integrity? Why don't we do that? Go ahead, you want to say something? We don't want to, why not? Because we want to do what we want to do. My chameleon friend wanted to be respected when he came around respectable people. And he wanted to act like the fool when he was around the fools because it looked like fun. He and his roommates one night had a discussion about whether the light in the refrigerator really goes off when you close the door. (laughs) Do you know where this leads? They emptied out the refrigerator. (laughs) Sorry, (laughs) that's a digression. (laughs) We like fitting in to every group. I don't know about you, but the comment was made this morning about revival in our country. I don't know about you, but I have this strange belief that there's certain parts of this wonderful country we live in that I just don't fit in, you know, anymore. You know, I just, it just doesn't, mm. we want to fit in. It is a natural human desire to do that which fits in. And back to chapter one, when we had the violent person coming to us and say, come with us, let's go shed innocent blood. Let's go do something wicked. And we go, hmm, that would be fun. My church friends will not find out about it. Let's go do it just to see what happens. Okay, maybe you're not going out rolling drunks, okay? But there's that aspect of your life that doesn't match up with the other aspects of our lives. What is the solution to that? Well, we've seen it over and over and over again in the book of Proverbs. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. To fear the Lord is to hate evil. If I recognized that while I may be in this group today, 
and in a different group tomorrow and a different group on Friday night, if I really believed that God was watching me in all of these situations and that the only individual that ultimately I need to please is God, then I would cease being the chameleon and I would begin to live a life of integrity that honors him, not whatever group I happen to be in. The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. Taking crooked paths carries with it the idea of drifting from place to place. I'm with this group. I'm with this group. I act this way. I have no set purpose. I have no set goal. I have nothing that guides my life. I just drift from one activity to another. Some are good. Some fit into, as we said, one group, and some fit into no group at all. It really is the opposite of integrity. It is the idea of just drifting along. He who takes crooked paths will be found out. This is a picture that is used throughout the book of Proverbs and throughout the scripture as a whole. The straight path versus the crooked path that just meanders around. Once again, I'm not going to ask for a show of hands of how many you know that are following a crooked path. I could give you names. And it may not be openly wicked and evil. It's just drifting with no purpose, no goal, no intent of a direction. It is not living a life of integrity. The man of integrity walks securely, but he who takes crooked paths will be found out. He who winks maliciously causes grief, and a chattering fool comes to ruin. Okay, what's wrong with winking? <laughs> I mean, really. Once again, the implication is that I am giving some signals that show that I am up to something. You know? Have you ever talked to someone and you got some body language that told you that what they were telling you wasn't really the truth? And in fact, they knew. You knew it wasn't the truth. But it didn't matter. They're up to something. They're scheming. They're conniving. And that's the picture that we have here. Who winks maliciously. He is communicating a false message because he is up to no good. I'll talk to you later. He says winking to a girl is not malicious. Depends. We have lots of verses in this passage, as I mentioned, talking about the tongue, okay, about what comes out of our mouth. Obviously, obviously, there's nothing 
immoral in and of itself of our mouths. Okay? God made them. They were part of us when God says that's good. In and of itself, there's nothing wrong. But what we communicate with it can determine, can indicate the condition of our heart. This verse is making the obvious statement that how we communicate involves more than just our tongue. It involves our eyes, our ears, our body language. I mean, you have whole you know, college courses on how body language communicates particular information. We were discussing that at work the other day. We had a demonstration of a system we're working on. This guy came in to view the demonstration, and he clearly didn't want to be there. Okay? So he starts with his arms crossed and leaning back. And after about 20 minutes of me talking to him, he starts dropping his arms. And by the end of it, he is engaged because we had met some need that he didn't even know that he had. The body communicates. The eyes communicate. The tongue can communicate good. The eyes can communicate good. It is okay to wink at your spouse, to wink at your daughters. I do that all the time. But what we communicate with the instruments that God has given us is an indicator of the condition of our heart. He who winks maliciously causes grief. Why? Because his language cannot be trusted. As I said, he's up to something, and it is no good. Who winks maliciously ultimately causes grief. What are you snickering about over there? (laughs) And once again, our chattering fool shows up. He who winks maliciously causes grief, and a chattering fool comes to ruin. Once again, our communication, how we communicate, what we communicate, can lead us to life or it can lead us to ruin. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Okay. What is it that comes out of the mouth of the righteous that makes it a fountain of life? Pardon? Hope. Very good. Building people up. The Holy Spirit speaks through us, uses us to communicate to other people. Wisdom. Love. Encouragement. Any of you ever been encouraged before? (laughs) Any of you ever been discouraged before by the words of somebody? We all have. We know that. 
We know that. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life. Two broad categories to talk about. All of these apply, but just two broad categories. The first is wisdom. We're talking about the book of Proverbs. We're talking about wisdom on how we should live our life in light of the fear of the Lord. The wise individual can communicate wisdom that people listen to to lead them from the path of foolishness to the path of righteousness. That involves not only knowing the wisdom so that you can share it, but presenting it in a way that, I hate to use the word, but is in fact attractive, that makes it appealing to other people. So they go, oh, you're right, I should go that way. Exactly. <laughs> he asked if that was like our politicians running from all, no. One way with young people. <laughs> they think they know, yeah. You're right. I uh, I teach a, I've told you before, I teach a worldview class to, to high schoolers uh, every so often. And one of the speakers in that, we, I mean, there's video presentations for a lot of it, and he makes the point that when dealing with people who disagree with you, one of the best techniques is just to ask them questions. The most obvious being, why do you believe that? And, and ask it sincerely. Don't mock them by asking the question. Why do you believe what you think you believe? Well, you're wrong to do that. Oh. <laughs> it is so true. It is so true that we use words that are so loaded and we don't even know it. I mean, I've, I've told you this story before because I mean, it's one of my standard jokes. You know, you, you know the individual who they're either freezing to death or they're burning up. You know, you're sitting in this room right now and it's, Am I freezing or am I burning up? Okay, well, why can't you just say I'm a little bit warm or I'm a little bit cool? No, 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 because nobody would listen to you. So we immediately take our words to the extreme one way or the other. You know, you spoke harshly to me, so I hate you. You know, no, we need to tone down our words, not use words that obviously carry with them bad ramifications that's a digression wisdom the righteous individual speaks wisdom the second thing that the righteous individual speaks and this should be obvious from the new testament is the gospel that really is the fountain of life when i am dealing with anybody unbeliever believer unknown when i am dealing with anybody i need to be presenting the gospel 
the good news, the righteousness of Christ given to us in payment for our sin. Unbelievers need to hear that. Believers need to hear that. And those who are unsure, they really need to hear that. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life because God has imparted to us the message of life to communicate to a lost and dying world. Remember, we don't save anybody. We, we don't save anybody. God saves. But God has chosen to use our words to communicate the gospel to the world around us. Not only does he use our words, he uses our winking and our body language and our lifestyle and our actions to communicate. The quote that we've used in here before of St. Francis of Assisi, preach the gospel at all times, even using words if necessary. Think about it for a moment. Our lives should be proclaiming the gospel. We're not going to ask for a show of hands of who does that. Because I don't. So many times I am communicating, well, who knows what I'm communicating. The mouth of the righteous is a fountain of life, but violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Why does the mouth of the wicked cause violence? Well, let's cheat, okay, and look at the next verse. Hatred stirs up dissension. Did you ever know anybody who just likes to stir things up? I had a coworker like that one time. He just wanted on purpose to stir things up. Did you hear what they said about you? Are you going to let them get away with that? Did you hear what they said about you? Are you going to just stirring things up? Why do they do that? It's a game. The fool loves to stir up problems and cause dissension. Violence overwhelms the mouth of the wicked. Back to verse 11. Because the violent, the malicious person, is always stirring up trouble. I think, I think I can stand up here and proclaim any foolish thing in the world, and then I am shocked when somebody responds negatively to it. Shocked. I don't know if you ever read blogs. I try not to very often. There's a couple of them that I read. But you go out there on the Internet, and there is the most vile spewing of opinions. I have no intention to convince you. I have no intention to present wisdom to you in an attractive fashion. I just want to cause a fight. And at the end of the day, you ask them, and they go, well, 
All this conflict produces truth. No, it doesn't. It produces conflict. All it does is stir up dissension. (sighs) Hatred stirs up dissension, but love covers all wrongs. Huh. There's a verse for you to think about for a while. It's awful strong. (laughs) Love covers all wrongs. I don't know. Let's do something weird and look at 1 Corinthians 13. You don't need to turn there unless you just want to. Uh, Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. It is not rude. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It does not... It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Always, 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 always. Love covers over all wrongs. What in the world could that possibly mean? Jesus is love. You're going to steal my punchline yet, aren't you? We have some idea of what this verse means, okay? You know, uh, somebody does something to irritate me. It's not a really big thing, but it's a little thing, and it's enough to irritate me. And I sit here and I look at this verse and say, hmm, Lovers, love covers all wrongs. I should overlook that in the name of love. And the opposite of that is obviously hatred stirs up dissension. To use that little knit to drive a wedge and respond with a bigger knit, and, you know, it escalates to, to the Hatfields and the McCoys. That's an easy. I mean, we, we look at that verse and we go, oh, that's easy. Love covers the tiny wrongs that we all do to each other every day inadvertently. You know, and I'm teaching a class to, uh, you know, I'm doing a mentoring for a young couple about to get married, and I tell them that and we're all happy. You know, when your spouse does something little that annoys you, overlook it. But unfortunately, as Mike points out, this verse doesn't say overlook it when it's some small little thing. It says, love covers over all wrongs. But wait a minute. What if they have molested my child? They need to hang, and I'll bring the rope. Right? The problem is, what does the word cover mean? covers up, covers over all wrongs. Does it mean that I pretend it didn't happen? Is that what it means? If that's what it means, this verse is an evil, wicked verse. Because sin does happen, it is bad, and it is evil. 
makes up for all offenses. That sounds a little bit softer. (laughs) To cover it doesn't mean that we pretend it didn't happen. What it means is that we continually seek the good of the other party even when they have done us wrong. Now, someone breaks into your house and steals your stuff. They're caught. And it's up to you to press charges or not. To say that it covers all sins, all wrongs, does that mean you pretend it doesn't happen? No, it doesn't. Justice may still need to be done. But your intent, your goal, is the repentance of the individual. You know that they need to be brought to repentance. That's what they need. Wisdom tells you what they need even though they don't realize it. So you can look at them and say, maybe some time in the slammer will help them. Maybe it will produce repentance. It might not. But, you know, just letting them go and pretending it didn't happen won't work either. If the drug addict comes and wants more drugs from you, the loving thing to do is tell him no. Now, the loving thing to do is to take his hand and take him to the rehab place and work with him until you... But you know what? That's real hard. That's real hard and real difficult. Now, let's back away, though, for just a moment. I can sit here and teach a wonderful lesson about this verse dealing with the person who robs you, rapes you, murders your child, and it's a real hard lesson. Unfortunately, there are those in this room who probably have had to deal with a situation like that in your life. It does happen. It does happen. But most of us, most of us are dealing with spouses and children and co-workers who have the little nits that annoy us. And are you ready for this? If we can't cover that, how in the world do we think that we can cover the big things when they happen to us? And how in the world, how in the world can we imitate Christ who looked at us when we were in active rebellion against him and he looked at us and said i'll cover that offense i'll deal with that wrong we are to be imitators of christ love bears all things endures all things believes all things because that's what love does Does that mean that it's easy? No. 
Nobody ever said love was going to be easy. Go ahead. Pulls a quilt over the bickering. That's a nice phrase. Not getting even. Oh, but we want to get even so much. They deserve it. You don't know what he did. Oh, sorry. Isn't that the way we work? Isn't that the way our minds think? Sure, I'm willing to forgive you as long as God zaps you tomorrow. And if God doesn't zap you tomorrow, well, obviously God's falling down on the job, so I've got to do it for him. And, you know, well, maybe God's not going to zap you, but I'm certainly going to go tell my neighbor what a jerk you are. I'm going to go stir up a little dissension, a little hatred, in good Christian terms, of course. I'm going to go to my neighbor and say, we need to pray for this person because they're a jerk. We would never do that. Go ahead. I, yeah. You can change that. You can go to... The, the question is, I can, I can verbalize, I forgive you. But inside, I still have the bitterness that, well, I really do hate you, by the way. <laughs> Nothing personal. We believe that our feelings are somehow sacred, and that's just the way I am. Bitterness is a sin. It really is. And if we are bitter, it's not his fault for making me bitter. It's my fault for not accepting the forgiveness that Christ has offered me. What's the old line? Bitterness is drinking poison, hoping your enemy gets sick. Think about it for a while. Yes, ma'am. First off, God knows. Okay? We take it to him, but what are we taking to God? What we need to take to God is our bitterness, our lack of forgiveness, our lack of love. And as I said... We still may punish the person. If a child misbehaves and breaks some known rule of the house that has a punishment associated with it, you should punish them out of love. It is love that seeks the good of the other no matter what it takes. If I didn't care for them, I wouldn't punish them. You are right. We take it to God. Yeah. That's true. There's a comment back here. (laughs) 
She's talking about the movie Dead Man Walking. We actually saw the play. So it's about forgiveness. Can you forgive someone who's done some horrible? And like I said earlier, we can look at the extreme examples, and it's rightfully so. I mean, I've used the illustration in here before, you know, where Corey Tin Boom made the comment that, you know, after the war, she's speaking someplace in the United States. And after one of her sessions, this man walks up to her and says, oh, Corey, I became a Christian. thing," And she recognized him as one of the guards in the prison where her sister died. She hated this man. And this voice inside of her, God, told her, stick out your hand and shake his hand. These are big stories, and they're, they're amazing. We should learn from them. We have trouble. We have trouble dealing with spouses and children and friends doing, you know, somebody cuts us off in traffic and we damn them to hell and we think that if somebody did something big to us, well, we'd forgive them with Christ's love. That's a bunch of hooey. But, go ahead. Mm. Praying for the enemies works on us. It's a fabulous verse. It's a horrifying verse. But look at the contrast, and we'll close with this. Look at the contrast. When I am going through life, I am living in a world of sinners. Any of you question that? Huh? If any of you question that, go home and look in the mirror. We are living in a world of sinners. Sometimes we have horrendous public sins. Sometimes we have horrendous private sins. Sometimes we have mild public sins. Some, all over the map, we live in a world of sinners. We married sinners. We have children who are sinners. We work with sinners, and we go to church with sinners. Huh? That's all that God has to work with are the sinners. When those sinners do something wrong to us, and they will, they will, do I use that as an opportunity to stir up a fight it's my right. They violated my rights. I'm upset. I have a right to be upset. Or do I look at them like Christ and say, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Do I look at them and say, what is in the best interest of them? How can I help them? How can I be a blessing? How can I speak 
words of wisdom? How can I speak the gospel to them and not hatred and dissent? And do, do go look at the fabulous examples that should inspire us all of people who underwent tremendous adversities and forgave the individuals. Go look at those. But remember, that's the end result of dealing with the little problems in our everyday life. Love covers over all wrongs. Don't think for one moment that's easy. Don't think for one moment that following the path of wisdom is the path of ease. The path of ease was the one we mentioned last week about the sluggard staying in bed at the time of harvest. The life of ease is not the life of righteousness. Sorry. Hate to pop your bubble. So we'll pick up with the next verse next week. But remember, there is a path of wisdom. There is a path of foolishness. The words of our mouth, the body language that we communicate with, communicates wisdom or foolishness to those around us. It really communicates the condition of our heart. Let's close in prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for showing us the path of wisdom. But more important than that, thank you for showing us love. When we were sinners, when we were in rebellion against you, you showed us love and you showed us forgiveness. May we take that love and may we take that forgiveness and demonstrate it to the world around us so that they too would be drawn to you. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.